0: So for these three Sundays in January when we do things a little differently at the start of the year we're going to take a series of studies from uh, 1 Kings So would you take a moment to get your Bible or a Bible from the rack in front of you and find 1 Kings page 325 I think it is the book of first Kings. Now before we actually start reading, a few little introductory comments. The two books of Kings are at the center of the group of books in the Old Testament that we call the history books. They don't just record history, but they are history with a theological commentary and that commentary is important for us in trying to understand the history of that time. Now the unknown author used official court records and documents as his source material and his intention was to help us understand that period of Israel's history, the period of the kings that covered about 400 years and help us understand the significance of that time. He probably wrote these books when God's people were in exile in Babylon about the year 560 BC. Now the first part of the history of the monarchy stretching over those 400 years deals with Saul and David and that's told in the books of Samuel. Now the material in the two books of Kings divides into three main parts. The first part deals with the reign of Solomon and Solomon reigned for 40 years. We actually know little about the man until he appears as a leading figure in these early chapters of 1 Kings. The monarchy actually reached its highest peaks during his reign but actually there was trouble not far ahead and in this series we're going to look at the first 11 chapters of first kings under the title of solomon a case study of culture human effort and god's purposes first a little word about culture every society develops a set of activities and attitudes and beliefs and customs that make up that society's culture. And as Australians we have certain beliefs and we act in certain ways that mark us out as Aussies. But we know that culture changes from people group to people group and it also changes from time to time. But it's helpful to remember that culture is always of human origin. So in this first session we're going to think about Solomon and his culture. How was he influenced by the culture of his time? And for this study we're going to look at two areas of his life. Firstly his family background and then secondly his national administration. So there we set the scene. Now we're going to look at the Bible 1 Kings chapter 1 verse 1 Let me read a few verses here Verses 1 to 6 When King David was old and well advanced in years He could not keep warm even when they put covers over him So his servants said to him Let us look for a young virgin to attend the king and take care of him she can lie beside him so that our Lord the king may keep warm then they searched throughout Israel for a beautiful girl and found Abishag a Shunammite and brought her to the king the girl was very beautiful she took care of the king and waited on him but the king had no intimate relations with her now Adonijah one of David's sons, whose mother was Haggith, put himself forward and said, I will be king. So he got chariots and horses ready with 50 men to run ahead of him. Then a little bit in brackets. His father had never interfered with him by asking, why do you behave as you do? He was also very handsome and was born next after Absalom close the bracket now down to verse 15 we meet another lady no we don't meet her because she's appeared in the scripture story earlier on Bathsheba went to see the aged king in his room where Abishag the Shunammite was attending him Bathsheba bowed low and knelt before the king What is it you want? the king asked She said to him My lord, you yourself swore to me, your servant By the Lord your God Solomon your son will become king after me And he will sit on my throne But now Adonijah has become king And you, my lord the king Do not know about it The book of 1 Kings begins with David when he was old and well advanced in years and could not keep warm. Now if we were going to write a history book we probably would not open with a paragraph that follows. But there are some cultural matters here that we need to clarify. First of all let's look at this diagram of David's family. David married... In fact he married several times and so he had many wives because polygamy was accepted in his day. It resulted in a very complex family structure and we see here how some of those mentioned in the reading fit into that structure. You'll see in about the middle of the slide Adonijah's name and he was the son of Haggith. So if you go and follow the line upwards you'll see that Haggith was his mother. But there were lots of other mothers. And then we see Solomon down towards the bottom right and his mother was Bathsheba. That's interesting. But then there were other women over on the right hand side who were not wives but they were concubines. And they had sons. So David had lots of wives, he had concubines and he had lots of sons. Now let's pause for a minute. Let's remember that marriage is the state in which a man and a woman live together in sexual relationship with the approval of their society as part of their culture. Marriage is affirmed in the Bible as part of God's plan for humanity, providing both companionship and fellowship and also the continuation of God's creative work through families marriage now we come to polygamy many wives this is first mentioned in the Bible in Genesis 4.19 and it's not actually strictly forbidden yet while polygamy was practiced in the Old Testament monogamy is implicit in the creation story of Adam and Eve and later prophets encouraged it we might say that mankind was left to discover that monogamy was the best option for minimising family troubles when we come to the New Testament Jesus and the apostles uphold monogamy as the pattern for Christian marriage well now these concubines They were women who were legal sexual partners. They were of a lower social standing than wives and yet under Mosaic law they were given some protection as we have in Deuteronomy 21. However it was an easier matter to divorce these people. So while concubines were taken in Old Testament culture The practice created trouble for individuals and families throughout history. And so what is right when it comes to expressing our God-given human sexuality? Well, we'll work through that to some degree. But I want you to notice that a particular wife of Solomon now is mentioned a few times in this story. She is identified as Pharaoh's daughter. She comes into the story first in chapter 3 verse 1. Now such a marriage was sometimes associated with a treaty between nations and the marriage was a way of endeavouring to maintain peace between those nations. It was a practice found in several eastern cultures although it might surprise us that that Solomon entered into such a relationship. God's deliverance of his people from an earlier Pharaoh was the great saving act of God in the Old Testament. But now Solomon marries the daughter of a different Pharaoh and so re-established a relationship with Egypt. But that was to lead to trouble. Now another little break here. We go back a little earlier in Israel's history to Moses' time when God had given rules for kings which are found in Deuteronomy 17 starting at verse 17 and you'll notice that it says there that the king must not marry many wives or his heart will be led astray and he must not accumulate great wealth. What he must do is make a handwritten copy of God's law, getting the original from the priests. And I think that was to impress it on his mind and on his heart. He was to follow God's law and his decrees. So we just take notice of that as something that had been given a few hundred years earlier, long before the monarchy was actually established. So being part of a complex family structure, how will Solomon go on and live his life? We're going to turn across now to 1 Kings 11. So turn across a few pages to 1 Kings chapter 11. Now remember Solomon's rule lasted for 40 years. So time passes and we come now to chapter 11 King Solomon however loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter and at least some of them Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told his people you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after other gods. Nevertheless Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, we began with David growing old and he had some troubles. Now Solomon has grown old. And what has happened? His wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. This was a very sad way for Solomon's story to come to an end. Well, other nations adopted idol worship And as part of their culture but God's people were called to follow him only they were to develop a different culture that led to holy living but by marrying foreign women Solomon was drawn towards the pagan ways of his many wives it wasn't a matter of racial intolerance it was a matter of a clash of culture And he ended up doing what was evil and did not fully follow the Lord. It was a disastrous outcome for him but also for the nation. And so I think we come to this lesson. Conforming to culture may be convenient but culture is not an adequate guide to sexual behaviour or family structure. Well that was our first point, David and his family structure and we see that there were some problems. Now we come to our second point this morning, Solomon's national administration. Now just covering some ground here, in the rest of chapter 1 beyond where we read earlier, we get an introduction to Solomon and the establishing of his kingdom. And early in chapter 2 David actually dies and so Solomon is established as king and he begins to set up the administrative structure by which he will govern his people and rule over them. And when we come to chapter 4 we have some details we're not going to read chapter 4, but I want you to just look down through it quickly. Firstly, he lists a number of chief officials. We would call them today the heads of department. And he had some priests. He had two secretaries, a recorder to keep the minutes. He had a commander-in-chief of the armed forces. He had a manager of district officers personal advisor, someone to run the palace and all of its affairs and then there's an interesting one, a forced labour supervisor. That looks a little menacing. What sort of forced labour is going to be involved here? Well, we'll see in a minute. But then there were some district governors appointed, 12 of them. One for each of 12 districts. But when we look at the description of those 12, Judah itself is not mentioned. Now I guess it's a little bit like uh, Judah being like Canberra in some ways for us. We have our states and territories but then we have a national capital. And so here in this time of Solomon he established his states and territories, 12 of them, but Judah was reserved as the national capital. Now this was the basis of a centralised administration. It involved a lot of other people as staff but the 12 districts were not the same as the original 12 tribal areas of Joshua's time. Solomon adopted a different structure. He wanted 12 regions to supply goods one region for one month twelve months in the year so he needed twelve regions they adopted ideas that had been used in other cultures around them and the responsibility of the district governor was to be sure that the palace supplies for the month for which he was responsible were delivered now what sort of supplies were they? This comes as a bit of a shock and we see here that the daily provisions enumerated in chapter 4 and verses 22 to 28 5 tonnes of flour, 10 tonnes of meal they needed 10 stall fed cattle for meat in addition 20 pasture fed cattle for all the also rans They needed a hundred sheep and goats plus a few other exotic animals for special occasions. They needed feed for 4,000 chariot horses. This was the defence equipment of that time, not tanks and rocket launchers, but the horses to pull the chariots. Now this actually amounted to a form of taxation, national taxation imposed upon the people to provide these needs for those who functioned in the Canberra or Judah administration. A big demand. Now most of this development that Solomon would undertake during his reign would take place in Jerusalem. And this would have upset some people. It introduced some discrimination. If you live in Canberra you don't pay the taxes. If you lived in Judah you would not pay the taxes but all the others had to. Why are they favourites? Such discrimination led to discontent. But there was more. In order to undertake his program of development, he required goods and services that were not available in Israel. And so he needed to establish an extensive trading policy. Now here's an example. He needed timber supplies from a suitable area. As you travel through uh, Israel, you notice very few forests. And so suitable timber had to be obtained from elsewhere and he chose to get it from Tyre on the northern Mediterranean coast. Now the payment for these supplies of timber were 3,200 tonnes of wheat and then 440,000 litres of olive oil each year. Now those goods of course would be used to feed the people of that region. So here's the trading deal being established. But if he's going to do all this work, he needs people to do that work. Now we come to this interesting, interesting little bit about the forced labour. Labourers had to be found and Solomon conscripted people from throughout Israel. 30,000 of them it tells us as we move into chapter 5 and verse 13. They had to work in shifts, 10,000 people per month. And they had to go up to Lebanon into the region of Tyre to cut and dress the timber. They'd have two months off, then they'd be back again. In addition to the uh, people who were cutting the timber, he had 70,000 carriers to manhandle all of these goods to undertake the building program. 80,000 stone cutters, 3,300 foremen to oversee the workforce. Now these measures disrupted community life extensively but other kings did it this way. That's how they worked in their cultures and one outcome of the heavy taxes and the introduction of conscription was to further develop discontent and criticism. Now the writer of 1 Kings in chapter 4 verse 29 just turn back to that 429. He reminded Solomon, he reminds the readers rather, that Solomon was given wisdom by God and very great insight. He was wiser than any other man, and his fame spread. But as we think about the things that we've run through this morning in a couple of areas of Solomon's life and work we're left with the question how did Solomon use that wisdom? Now we notice that in chapters 4 and 5 there is no mention of Solomon ever coming and asking for God's guidance. It's all about what Solomon did. He seems to have followed the cultural patterns of others. He could see what was good in other countries and he adopted it. His efforts did bring prosperity, power and wealth to his nation but in so doing he sowed the seeds of future trouble both for himself and for his people. Our first lesson when we were thinking about uh, Solomon's background had to do with conforming to culture. As his dad had done, so he did. Now we come to adapting culture. And adapting culture may be a smart move, but not always a wise one. And it does not guarantee ongoing peace and prosperity. So there are certain things that come through to us from the way in which the book is put together that raise questions in our minds about Solomon and how he was functioning. So now as we come to conclude, we, we are all influenced by our culture. It plays a key role in who we are and what we do. So what was the assessment, the theological assessment of Solomon and his culture? We know that those who follow God must confront two cultures. The culture of the society they live in and the culture of the God who has called them to follow him. Setting priorities and making right responses has always been a challenge and it was for Solomon. Solomon. It has been so throughout history and it continues to be so for us. So let's review this session. Conforming to culture may be convenient but culture is not an adequate guide to sexual behaviour or family structure. Adapting culture may be a smart move but not always a wise one and it does not guarantee ongoing peace and prosperity followers of God face two cultures and we have to try and discern what pleases him and then usually there are no simple yes no answers we have to make choices do we conform to the culture of which we are a part or do we obey God Now what choices did Solomon make? The author here, the author of 1 Kings suggests that he yielded to cultural pressures around him which centred on the way he expressed his sexuality and he got trapped with the temptations of power and wealth. But there's a question here for us also. What sort of choices will we make? We may struggle with similar issues, although the particular circumstances will be different. Now in chapter 9 verses 4 to 7, Solomon was reminded by God of the issues he faced and the consequences of his response. And God said, if you walk before me in integrity and obey and do what I command you certain things will happen but if you or your sons do not then other things will happen you see Solomon was accountable for the way that he lived Now for us we move into the New Testament and Jesus and Paul, as two writers, two contributors to the New Testament, spell things out for us. And in the Sermon on the Mount, which explains to us God's counterculture, Jesus says, Do not seek first the kingdom of heaven. Seek God's kingdom. In Matthew six thirty-three. And then Paul follows or words for people who lived in the Roman culture in some ways very similar to our own. And he says to the believers experiencing the cross-cultural clash in that time do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. There is guidance for us when we have to make our choices. Yes, there is a culture that defines us in general terms but there's also a counterculture for God's people revealed in the scriptures of truth and God's purpose is to gather to himself a company of transformed people with whom he can share the wonders of heaven forever and there's a choice for us if we walk before God in integrity then certain things will happen But if we do not, then other things will happen. It's truly a choice with far-reaching consequences. So we've considered Solomon and his culture. He struggled with sex, power and wealth. But there are lessons for us here as well. For the same issues are common in our Western culture and many still struggle with them. The new year is a time for new beginnings, a suitable time to assess again my culture and my place in it. There's a constant need for God's wisdom and guidance to choose what is right and for grace and courage to follow God's ways do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Now for next week, uh, just take a quick look, not in detail, but just look through chapters 5, 6, 7 and 8 just to see what is covered by the writer of 1 Kings in that part of his record of Solomon's life and work. And our study next week will be Solomon and Human effort there are copies of my notes if you would like a copy but let's now close in prayer may the God of peace equip us with everything good for doing his will and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.